Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. How many of you guys understand, excuse me, that what we do in this life matters? And see, we live in what we call a YOLO culture, which is actually antithetical to the kingdom of God. they, They teach and they preach on social media. We hear it. I hear it in my generation, the echoes and the whispers that you only live once. So essentially what they're saying, you better do what you want to do. You better do everything your heart wants to do because you only get one shot in this life. And you know what? What they're saying is absolutely true. We only live once, so what we do matters. But see, we're living in a culture, we're living in a day where what I like to call we're flesh junkies. If it makes us feel good, if it gives us pleasure, we're moved by that. And see, what I've understood about the kingdom of God is the kingdom of God is upside down. Usually the hard way is the right way. Usually the way that is the long path is the way of the kingdom of God. And see, the kingdom of God is upside down. It's backwards. But what we do in this life matters. Our relationships with people matter. How we judge people matters. So we're going to be talking about judgment in this life And we're going to be talking about judgment in the next life. And see, I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. I am a hope-filled preacher of the gospel. I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you ever hear any word up here from the pulpit that does not inspire hope, it is under the inspiration of the wrong spirit. All right? So this is a word that is going to inspire hope. It's going to challenge you. But it's also going to cause you to check yourself. Look to the person next to you and say, check yourself. All right, check yourself. Say it like that. Check yourself. Come on, check yourself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judged, you will be judged. And with what measure, say measure. With what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye, you hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then perhaps you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is talking about judgment here, but what looks like a blatant contradiction In verse 6, he calls people dogs. He calls people swine. In verse 15, he calls people false prophets. So he's telling us not to judge, but yet throughout the entirety of the chapter, he's making judgments. So what's the answer to this contradiction? Is there really a contradiction here? And And I've learned when studying Scripture that Revelation is right in the middle of two contradictory ideas. Revelation is found in the middle of the tension. So it's not judgments that are wrong. We have to judge. You have to judge those that are inside the church. 1 Corinthians 5 is clear. It's plain. Paul says, do we not judge those that are inside the church? And then he says, but 
God judges those that are outside the church. So Jesus is saying, judge not lest you be judged. But the key in understanding what he's talking about here is measure. Say it one more time. Say measure. Measure is the Greek word metron. It's, it's where we get the word for ruler. So what he's saying here, judgment is not necessarily sin in itself, but it's how far you take it. It's how far you go. And see, we are supposed to be assessors in the kingdom of God. We're supposed to make assessments of those around us. This is just good standards and practices of Christian living. You are supposed to be professional fruit assessors. Do you, do you hear that? You're supposed to assess the people's fruit around you. Why? It's because you have to be mindful of who you spend your time with. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. It says, look, bad company corrupts good morals. Meaning, listen, you show me your five closest friends and I will show you who you are. You show me who you spend your time with and I will show you a reflection in a mirror of yourself. This is why our relationships matter. So Jesus is not condemning judgments. He's condemning how far you go in your judgments. And I love what he says here. He says, look, you got to take the plank out of your own eye so you can see clearly, right? So you can see the speck that is in your brother's eye. And I'm looking at this, and what's interesting is a speck, or a, some translations say a piece of sawdust, is the exact same material as a plank. So what is he saying? It's usually, usually your own issue that you're seeing in other people is what rubs you the wrong way. And what, listen, this, this is what I've understood about my life. It's, it's usually the thing that rubs me the wrong way in someone else that God is dealing with me about. Come on. The person that you're married to should absolutely drive you crazy. I say this all the time. Why? It's because they're supposed to press your buttons. The person you're married to is supposed to press all of your buttons. Well, you want to know why? It's because all those buttons need to be redeemed by the Father. <laughs> God, listen, God knows what he's doing. He takes, he takes a yin and he takes a yang and he puts those two together. And the world says, oh, that ain't going to work. Man, they're going to kill each other. And the Holy Ghost says, watch this. I'm going to redeem every button in their lives. Come on. But in the church, we have to be mindful of who we spend our time with. So everyone say assignment. All right, let's go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. So assessments are not wrong, but assignments are wrong. That is what Jesus is trying to teach us here in Matthew 7. And I love this because James was not written by the disciple James. This is written by the half-brother of Jesus. Watch this. I love this. It's because James didn't even believe in who his brother said he was. Jesus, watch this. Jesus had to resurrect from the dead, appear to his brother to convince his brother that he was who he said he was. So if you... Like, when you read this book, read it with that framework in mind. He didn't even believe who his brother said he was. And right here, he's talking about judgments. Watch this, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. 
For if there should come in your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become, uh uh-oh, judges with evil motives? So watch this. Judgment is not wrong. Assessing people's fruit is not wrong. That's wisdom. But it's your metron or your measure of judgment that becomes ultimately sinful. And James, he's literally taking Matthew 7 and he's taking it like a piece of steak and he's dissecting it. And he says, let me pull this apart for you and let me show you what you really need to understand about judgment. Watch this assessing someone is not wrong, but making an assignment of them is what's wrong. See, and as leaders, we have to be careful to not to do this as bosses, as pastors, because when we see a pattern of behavior, a pattern of dysfunction, we're seeing some fruit that's kind of decayed. We're seeing some corruptible fruit. And then it's easy for us to make an unrighteous judgment and for us to say, that person is never going to change. That's sin. That's sin. Because what I, what I just did was I assigned that person. I assigned that person, James chapter 2. I said, hey, you sit over here. What is judgment? Judgment is what we do after we tell the truth. Uh Uh-oh. It's what we do after we tell the truth. It's where we put people in our mind, in our heart, and what we do is we assign people into prison because of a pattern of dysfunction. And see, what we do in the kingdom of God that's ultimately sin is, and we, we never create a way or a pathway out through redemption. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he never told anyone that you're never going to change. This is who you are. No, the blood of Jesus Christ is the strongest, most powerful substance on the face of the earth. And this is what we need to understand about the blood. The blood takes every remnant of the decay of sin off our life and that's how we need to see one another we need to listen in the church in the kingdom of God yes we need to have righteous judgment if someone is in habitual sin we need to take a step back because that's leaven that can influence in my life but we never need to speak evil of that person and say that person's never going to change we never need to make an assignment of that person that they're never going to change it's because when we make an assignment of that person they're never going to change we're indicting the grace of God on that person's life. We have to understand this is because the world says, well, brother, you judging me? The church says, brother, you, you judging me? I am judging everybody in this room because God tells me to. It's how far I take that judgment that's ultimately sin or not sin. Now, when it comes to the world, we can't judge the world. You want to know why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. We call sin, sin. We call fornication, fornication. 
We call adultery, adultery. We call homosexuality, homosexuality. We call sin for what it is, but the people in the world that don't know God, we can't make a false assignment of that person because they don't know God. They don't know any better. They don't have the standard of grace inside of their life, giving them the ability to make the right decision. So this is where we failed as the church. Instead of being silent about judgments, we've been violent in our judgments, and we've cut off the ears of a church and of a culture we're called to redeem come on we're called to be lights when's the last time you've seen that light talk we're called to be carriers of the glory of god i've had more people come up to me and want to be close to me not because of the way I've preached or the way I've taught in front of people, but because of the way I've loved my family, the way I've loved my wife. That's what the culture is after. They're wanting authentic, legitimate sons and daughters of God to show them the real way. Amen? So we have to be careful about how far we move in our judgment towards one another. We are called to assess fruit, yes, but we are never called to make an permanent of assignment of someone. Amen? All right, so that's judgment now. Everyone say judgment now. Judgment now. now do this with your hand and say judgment later. Judgment. We're going to talk about something terrifying. You ready? Let's go to the terrifying scriptures. Dun, 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 dun. Ready? All right. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Megan, you never gave me my, my sweat rag. I need my sweat rag, babe. Come on. You told me you'd get me one. Huh? I need a sweat rag. It's so bright up here. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 9. Where am I out on time? I got some time. Oh, it's 1052. Oh, yeah. All right. Y'all ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, Hey, straw, notice how I honored Amanda for what she's been doing in this house for eight years. That's very important, very applicable to this text. Watch this, verse 13. But each one's work will become clear for the day. Everyone say the day. Come on, everyone say the day. The day. We'll declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. The judgment seat of Christ, that phrase that reality that we're all going to face as believers, I'm going to unpack that in a little bit, is found in three places in the New Testament. It's found in the place I just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
It's found in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In every place, bro, you are amazing, man. Can I have this? It's going to be anointed when I give this back to you, bro. I promise. Come on. Thank you. He said, keep it. Woo. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in every place that I read about the judgment seat of Christ, it's absolutely terrifying. But what we need to understand is no place that is written has the word sin involved. See, sin is dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ. Watch this. The sin that will send us into an eternal separation from God is the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, which is rejecting the free gift of grace that Jesus provided. That is the only sin that will send you into eternity forever without God is rejecting Jesus' payment, his blood on the cross. So if you've received the blood and Jesus Christ is Savior and he is Lord, you're good when it comes to that final state, your reality forever in eternity. You're good to go. But there is another judgment that I just read about. And it is the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says, we just read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, we're going to be judged by our works, good and bad. Everyone say bad. That is not what we think like bad. Oh, that's, that stinks. Oh, that sucks. Whatever. That is literally the word worthless. Everyone say worthless. Your worthless works. What is Paul saying here? What kind of works are we going to be judged by as believers before the judgment seat of Christ? See, this seat is the Greek word bima, not bama, all right? It's bama, bro. No, it's bima. And it has to do with an Olympic stand where they would step up before a council of judges and examiners and they would receive a reward. So this is a place for rewards, but it's also a day of reckoning. Romans 14, 10 says, we're going to give an account. Everyone say an account. This is interesting because it's the Greek word logos. It's where we get the word word. You ever been in a service in a church where everyone's like, anybody got a word? Anybody got a word? Anybody got a word? Okay, watch this. The last time you're going to hear that is going to be from the mouth of God. You're going to stand before him and he's going to say, you got a word? That's what it says. And you're going to stand up on this Bema seat where you receive rewards. We're going to talk about that, but you're also going to give an account. This is where it's terrifying. This is where Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, and it's the Greek word phobos, where we get fear. And I would translate it, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we stand before him. He says, you got a word? Can you give an account? Can you give an account of your life? And we stand before him. And this is the thing. Is Jesus Christ the truth? Can we all say amen? Jesus Christ is the truth. There is going to be no manipulating the truth. <laughs> you, uh, you're going to be standing before not a man of truth or someone who speaks the truth, but you're going to be standing before truth himself. 
And you're not even going to realize it, but Romans 2 says, on the day that God will judge the secrets of my heart through Jesus Christ. You are going to give an account, and there's going to be things that come out of your mouth because deep truth is going to call out the deep truth in you, and there's going to be no manipulating God. Every intention, every false motivation, you're going to throw up before God. You're going to find out why you did the things you did on that day. And even now, some of us are so deceived and we're thinking, hey, we're building God's kingdom. No, 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 no. I'm convinced that a lot of us are building our own kingdom. And on that day, we'll realize it because we'll stand before him, we'll give an account, we'll stand before the truth, and the truth will pull out the truth in us and we'll vomit everything that we need to hear about ourselves, the things that we've overlooked. You ever heard this before? You ever heard this before? He says, take heed how you build. Say, take heed. He said, some build with gold, silver, precious stone. Some build with wood, hay, stubble. If I go outside right now, I can grab a tree branch and that's wood. I can go to probably within a stone's throw and find some hay on a field and I can definitely find some stubble. All that stuff is common. All that stuff is everywhere. That stuff's going to burn up. But what's gold, silver, and precious stones have in common? They're hidden. They're hidden. And they're precious. And they're valuable. And these are the things that we're going to re receive a reward for. And you think we don't serve a generous God. We serve a generous God. He said that if you would give a young person a cup of water, by no, no means shall you lose your reward. I'm telling you, the way we serve is so important in this life. Amanda, eight years, faithful, running pro presenter, making sure everything is where it needs to be in the service. You shall by no means lose your reward. These are the hidden things that nobody knows about. Listen, the intercessor that has woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning and nobody knows your name because you don't have a Facebook page with apostle in front of it or prophet in front of it, but you're just a faithful intercessor that gets up at 3 a.m. making intercession for the saints, not getting up until you feel a release in the spirit, you will by no means lose your reward. The one that goes under the bridge in South Knoxville off Broadway day in and day out and serves the homeless people and you're not putting it on Facebook or on Instagram and you're not making a video recording of it. You're just doing it because the love of Christ constrains you to do it. You by no means shall lose your reward. I'm not going to get a reward for what I'm doing right now. You want to know why? I'm already receiving my reward because it's public. This isn't gold, silver, precious stones. It's what I do in the secret place, the private place, the things that nobody knows about, the battles and the victories that only God in me knows about. That's what I'm going to receive a reward for. This is 10% of what we do as men of God. The pulpit is 10% of what we do. This is 10% of our prayer life. This is 10% of our character. This is what you see on Sunday morning. It's the other days that count for what a man of, man of God or a son of God does. Why did he say this, though? He starts out the chapter by saying, watch this. You 
are God's field and you are God's building. Look to the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Paul says you are God's building. What is he saying here? He's talking about building. He's talking about a foundation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about precious stones. But in the beginning of the text, he says, I'm going to give you a clue in understanding this. You are God's building. You are God's field. So if I build men and I pour into children, I'm going to receive a reward. Why? It's because you and me are carriers of eternity. you got to understand this. He starts out by saying, you are God's building, you are God's field, and he ends the text by saying, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who you have in you? And the fire of God is going to come over your life because why? Hebrews 12 says God is a consuming fire. The fi you will taste the fire of God. And every lover that you've loved more than God, it'll be painful because it'll be ripped from your life. It'll be painful because you'll see yourself for who you really are in that moment. Every idol will be burned from your life, but everything that's from God will stand the test of God. Uh-oh. Remember the, mo the burning bush of Moses? Remember where Moses saw the bush, but it was not consumed by the fire? This was prophetic of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Why? It's because it was the ministry that God gave Moses. Therefore, it was not consumed by the fire. It stood, it stood the test of the fire. So if it's a ministry given by God, it will stand the test of God. And guess who else will stand the test of God? You, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, because God cannot extinguish the God in you. And you will stand before God. The fire of God will blow over your life. And if you're carriers of God, Paul says, oh yeah, you'll be saved through the fire because you have the substance of God. Come on. You have the substance of God. God ain't going to put out the God in you, but the things you've built with your hands, those are the things that are going to be tried. I've, I, listen, I, I'm, in, I'm in a place in my life where I could care less about building programs. I could, I could care less about building churches. I want to build people because people will stand the test of God's fire. You are God's building. You are God's field. You're carriers of eternity. And if I spend my time building you, and if I spend my time building the gold, the divinity in you, and the silver, the redemption in you, and the precious jewels, the things that are worthy in you, the presence of God will sweep over my life, and he'll say, that's what I'm looking for. Come on, Isaiah says, behold, here I am, and what? The children you have given me. On that day, that's what's going to matter, is I'm standing before God and God says, hey, son, give me a word, give an account. And the things about my life, I'm going to confess that I never wanted to confess, but it's going to come out of my mouth. But also I'm going to receive a reward when the children that I've built and the sons that I've been poured into and the daughters that I spent my time pouring into, God says, that's what I'm looking for. Behold, here I am and the children you have given me. The terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. When was the last time you've heard a message on this? 
It's a good thing, though. It's a good thing because we have to test ourselves to see if we're still in the faith. How do you know if you're building God's kingdom of your own? How do you know? Can I tell you what I've learned? If you're seeing transformation in the people around you, you're building God's kingdom. But if you're seeing frustration within you, you're building your own. If you're seeing transformation in the people around you, if they're changing, if they're having encounter with Jesus, you're building God's kingdom. But if you're feeling frustration within you, you're probably building your own. You're striving. And see, work, you know works are good? Oh, brother, we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. By grace we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves; It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are God's workmanship. We're created for good works. We're created to build. We're created to build families, to build children. Listen, I don't care if I have a mega church of 5,000 people. If my family hates me, I'm a failure. It's about building people. It's about pulling divinity, redemption, precious jewels out of people and you stand before him on that day and it's going to be in mercy. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Almost done. Just a few more minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think it's verse... Is it verse 12? Perfect. For now we see in a mirror. Say, see in a mirror. Say dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I love King James. It says, I shall know fully for just as I am fully known. You know what this is talking about? That day. We see, we watch, we see in a mirror dimly right now. We don't see clearly. You're still deceived thinking that a lot of things you're doing are good and God's behind it. And I think a lot of us start out with God, good intentions, but then we move into the flesh. We move into the flesh. We start out with building God's kingdom. We move into building our own. We, we taste success. We taste money. We, we, a bunch of people come. We get notoriety. We get fame. And then what starts out innocent and pure and of God turns corruptible in the flesh. And see, we see dimly now. But then it says, but then we shall see face to face. Say face to face. Face to face. And watch this. It says, and I shall know fully just as I am fully known. Watch this. What's the coolest thing that God could ever look at? Answer that question. Himself. It's you. You are the Imagio Deo. You are the image of God. The coolest thing that God could ever see is a mirror. So he created you. God created you, and Revelation 4 says you were created for God's pleasure because God, it's not egotistical, it's not arrogant. God is I am, and he says, I want to look at myself. So boom, the image of God. Here you are. And we stand before him, and we see him, and he sees us, and watch this. The fire of God comes. We receive rewards for generosity for our deeds, for our, how we handled our possessions, how we handled our talents, our words we spoke, the assessments, the assignments, it's all dealing with people, 
always dealing with people, always dealing with the heart of God, and will look at God, and I, 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 I can't prove this, but I think there'll be a screen that comes up. It'll either be in God, or we'll see it in heaven, and the reason why we'll have tears is because what could have been and what should have been in your life, you will see it. 1 Corinthians 13 says, I shall know fully just as I am fully known. I will see myself full grown. I will see myself of the person that Matt Johnson could have been if he would have said yes. If he would have denied everything that came against him. If he would have said yes to going here and yes to going there and yes to picking up this phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning when I was so tired. God will put it all on the screen. There will be nothing hidden and I will cry because I'm going to look at myself and say, that's not who I am and what I am now. I'll have tears because I'll see what could have been and what should have been. And so will you. You'll see all the things that you built that were worthless meant nothing. And you'll see all the people that you should have ministered to that you looked the other way. Come on, I'm not trying to condemn you. All the people at a stop sign, well, they're homeless and they're going to spend it on drugs. It doesn't matter what they do. If God says give, you give. It doesn't matter. It's not up to you. It's up to them and God. You're not the homeless police, you know? Come on. And we'll see it on the screen and we'll cry and tears will come. But you know what the scripture says? Remember, we're at the judgment seat. Say judgment seat. Watch this. I'm, I'm going to end in five minutes. The judgment seat has mercy. Say mercy. So you'll be judged in mercy. And the hand of God will come. And it'll wipe away every tear from your eye. He'll wipe away every tear from your eye. Because you'll see what could have been and should have been. But God's like, you're my son. You're my daughter. It's all good. Because now you're in front of me. It's all good. Say it's all good. Okay, let's go to where it's not all good. Revelation 20. And I'm going to land here. Revelation 20. Are y'all with me? Revelation 20. This is where you don't want to be. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their what? Their works, by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death and Hades were delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to their works. Watch this. If you disagree with me on this, you can reach me at Tom at newhopeonline.com. Tom at newhopeonline.com. Gotcha. I know you're watching. Watch this. Judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Say believers. Why? Because Jesus is seated on mercy. The blood of the new covenant, the high priest dipped his blood and sprinkled it seven times on that mercy seat. So did Jesus spill his blood seven times on the cross. 
He is the high priest who has passed through the heavens. Come on. And he's seated on the mercy seat. And that is the standard in which we're judged. We are judged in mercy. James 2 says, for judgment will be merciless for those that have shown no mercy. But for those who have, guess what? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's where the tears are wiped. But on this day, at this throne, my question is, is there two thrones? It says great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there because it says that the people that are there are judged and they're cast into the lake of fire. This is not a doom and gloom message. I'm, I'm building a bridge here, okay? What if, say what if. What if Jesus is always seated on the mercy seat? Always. And for those, watch this. Everyone look at me right now. I'm acting like PT. Everyone look at me right now. <laughs> it's the spirit on me, press God. Come on. What if that the judgment seat of Christ, James chapter 2, where it says, for, ju mercy, for judgment will be merciless for those that have shown no mercy. What if those that rejected the mercy of Jesus their whole life, Jesus gets off the mercy seat and gets on the great white throne judgment? What if? What if Jesus says, there's nothing I can do? I cannot judge you in mercy because you rejected it. And see, watch this. This great white throne judgment, students of Scripture, there's only one other designation for that throne, and it's in Hebrews chapter 4, come boldly to the throne of grace. So what if those that have rejected mercy and grace, Jesus says, there's nothing that I can do. I can't judge you in mercy. I can't judge you in grace. He comes off the judgment seat of Christ and he sits on the great white throne judgment and he says, my hands are tied. It's not what I did. It's what you did. What if? Everyone stand up. So what's, what's the main idea? What's the takeaway? What we do matters. Can we say amen? amen. I, I have been in a place, you can ask my, my wife. I'm, it's, it's, it's not a place of performance. I hope it's not, gosh. But it's, it's, it's a place where, like, I'm watching everything that I do and every person I minister to and every opportunity that comes my way because I don't want to answer for missing it. Yes, it'll be in mercy. God is a merciful judge. He's a loving father. But we are going to give a word. We are going to give an account. We're going to give an account, watch this, our possessions. Do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust do destroy, but store up your treasures where? In heaven, our possessions, our words, what we speak about our brother, what you speak about your spouse, what you speak about your boss, what you speak about your pastor. Could you imagine if your pastor, your boss was there with you? Before the judgment seat of Christ, seeing on the screen all the things you said, you're like, I don't, I don't know who that was. 
I don't think they're going to be there. I think it's because you and God, you and God, you and God, you and God. But our possessions, our words, watch this, our opportunities, say opportunities. These are the open doors of ministry. There's, these are the open doors of grace that we have for this church around this community. I don't want to miss it as a church. Whatever God asks us to do at New Hope, I want to do it. Matthew 25 says also there's a corporate judgment too. It's plural. We'll get there yet. Opportunities, our possessions, our words, and also our talents, our gifts. What God has put in you, you are responsible for. You will never be responsible for what he did not give you, ever. But you will be responsible for what he did give you. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.